There was a really important question we talked about at lunch, and I'd be interested to get just a sense of where you guys are at. Quite a big theological problem. If you only had one day, where would you go? Hong Kong, Disneyland, or Ocean Park? <laughs> it's difficult. I don't know which way I'm going on that. Can I have a show of hands for Disneyland? Oh, that's quite surprising. So, relatively minor. Is everybody else for Ocean Park? Wow. That's overwhelming. Overwhelming. My word. Well, thank you for that. That, that important issue resolved. That's good. At least we've resolved one thing this weekend. That's good. Um, well, listen. This morning we looked at uh, what it means to deny self, take up cross, follow Jesus. I realised that was quite a heavy... Um, talk, but it was foundational. What I'd love to do now, and also tomorrow, is just get a clearer picture of this Jesus who we are called to follow. Because my, my conviction is that we will only follow him if we see him as truly beautiful, if we see him as truly uh, greater and more desirable than the other things that human beings can give their lives to. So that's what I hope to do in this talk and, and in the next talk. So hopefully that's helpful. As we start, uh, why don't we pray, actually, as we, as we begin. Father, thank you for um, bringing us to this place. Thank you for good food and good conversation. Um, thank you for sustaining uh, me in the middle of tiredness. I pray that you would continue to do that. Um, help us all as well to, to stay attentive to what you're saying to us. And I pray that you would kindle the fire in our hearts, um, that you would give us eyes to see the beauty of Christ. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So, if you can open your booklets, you'll find there John chapter 10. Uh, beginning at verse 1, I'm just going to try and do a balancing act and move this to this side. I'll tell you why I'm doing this. I know this looks a bit weird. This eye, very good. This eye, very bad. So it helps me to have it on this side. So there you go. That's why I'm doing that. So let's have a look at John chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, this is Jesus speaking. Now this is rather a long reading. Don't panic. I'm not going to be covering every single verse over the next half an hour or so. We're going to be selective. But I thought it would be helpful just to read the whole passage here. So, chapter 10, verse 1. This is Jesus speaking, of course. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy 
I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. And then we're going to jump down to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who's given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. There's a lot in that passage. I realise a lot of it is quite perplexing. So we're going to get into it a little bit. Hopefully it'll be helpful. When I was nine years old, my parents took me to Paris for a family holiday. And my father, I'm still not sure what he was thinking, but he took... I, I was only, what, eight years old at the time. My sister was seven years old, I think. And he took us all to see the film, The Elephant Man. Have you seen The Elephant Man? It's a shocking film to take children to. I have no idea what my father was thinking. I don't think he realised what it was going to be about. I think he thought it was basically going to be like Disney's Jumbo, Dumbo, you know, the elephant Dumbo. Anyway, he took us along to this film. And of course, if you've seen the film, you know, you'll know what it is. It's about this man, uh, true story, about a man called John Merrick, um, who was around in Victorian England. And he is so physically disfigured that he's rejected by everybody that he sees. And one of the most moving scenes in this film that is absolutely full of moving scenes is the moment when this man, John Merrick, who is despised and rejected by just about everybody, the moment when John Merrick recites the 23rd Psalm. It's devastating. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. It's utterly heartbreaking in the film because we recognise, I think, something of the elephant man's longing. Um, we recognise that longing in ourselves. The longing for a shepherd who will restore our souls. Someone who, who will never despise and reject us, no matter how we might seem to other people. Um, somebody who will never leave us, even when everybody else does. John Merrick knew his need for a shepherd, and I think instinctively we do too. I don't care whether, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a, a Christian here, I think deep down we instinctively understand that desire. One pastor uh, made the observation that when he goes to visit people who are in mourning, 
and he asks them what passage they want read at the funeral, 90% of the time it is that passage, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And as soon as the pastor starts reading those words, someone in the crowd will begin to cry, always. And I think one of the reasons we cry is because we sense, don't we? We sense how great is the yawning chasm between the, the great shepherd that we desire deep down and the little shepherds that we tend to look to instead. Because we all of us have little shepherds, if I can put it that way. We all of us have little shepherds, I think, in our life, whether we realise it or not. We all have someone or something that we look to and trust above all else. An authority that we rely on. Um, a voice we recognise and listen to above all others. Um, the shepherd might be a husband, might be a wife, um, a best friend, a mother or a father. And for others it might be... Um, I don't know, it might be science or the media or a particular political cause or a spiritual philosophy. For some people, the shepherd might be themselves. And the problem, of course, is that none of these little shepherds, if I can call it that, whether it's friends or food or family or physical relationships or financial solvency or political philosophies, whatever it is, none of those little shepherds which we hope will fulfill us in the way we really need, are really able to satisfy, deep down. That is why some of us spend our entire lives looking for this great shepherd in all kinds of places, because our little shepherds can't seem to bring us that kind of life, the kind of life that the shepherd of Psalm 23 brings. Enter Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. You hear the echo of the 23rd Psalm there. It's quite deliberate on Jesus' part because he knows that his hearers are really well acquainted with the 23rd Psalm. They all know it. He's scratching right where they itch. He's cutting right to the heart of the deepest human problem and need. You're looking for the good shepherd, he says. He's me. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one you've been searching for all these years. Now, we don't know whether those words elicited tears from his original hearers, but we do know that his words would have given them a tremendous shock. Why? Because they knew from their reading of the Old Testament who the Good Shepherd is. They knew the identity of the Good Shepherd. The Lord is the Good Shepherd. In other words, God himself is the good shepherd. They knew the 23rd Psalm, and they knew prophecies like this one from Ezekiel. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for the sheep and look after them. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Or take this one from Isaiah. Do you say Isaiah or Isaiah here at Hong Kong? Isaiah, good. In America they say Isaiah. They're absolute savages over there. It's terrible. <laughs> Anyway, this one from Isaiah, again, talking about God himself. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. So here in John 10, Jesus is making the connection between himself and God explicit. 
It's remarkable. Look at, look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd, he says. I'm the good shepherd. And again, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. It's no wonder that by the end of this chapter, the religious authorities pick up stones to stone him. Out of respect and fear, Jewish people will not even say Yahweh, the covenantal name of God. And yet here is this man claiming to be God Almighty himself. What could be more blasphemous than that? Look at the end of verse 33. In a rage, they say to Jesus, you, a mere man, claim to be God. Now, what do you do in that situation if you're Jesus? What do you do? You, you hold up your hands, don't you? You hold up your hands and you say, listen, that's, that's not what I meant. You've got it all wrong. You've misunderstood me. But that's not what happens. In fact, Jesus gets even more explicit. Verse 36, he says, quite matter-of-factly, why do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said, I am God's son? Can I say that for somebody to speak in that way was suicidally blasphemous, unless, of course, you actually are God's son. And it's the truth. Unless, of course, you actually are the good shepherd. And even though Jesus has given, has given plenty of evidence that he really is the good shepherd, it's worth making the simple observation that not everybody thinks this is good news. As will be the case even here this afternoon, not everybody's going to throw their arms around Jesus or cry tears of gratitude when Jesus announces that he is the one that they've been searching for all these years. And yes, it's true, some people reject Jesus in a very violent way, as we see here. But for others, rejecting Jesus will be much more of a British affair, be much more polite. You know, they'll hear Jesus spoken about maybe in a church or wherever, and then they will shake the preacher's hand at the end and they will say, thank you very much, lovely message, and they will walk away. But it's still rejection. It just looks a lot politer. I've been trying to think of possible ways why, why, Jesus, why people do that. Why is it that people who apparently are looking for a good shepherd all their lives, nevertheless, when they hear about Jesus and Jesus says, I am the one you've been looking for all these years, they walk away. And the question is, why? Why would somebody do that? And I think there are two main objections. Maybe you can think of more, but I think there are two main objections. The first objection is that we doubt we even need a good shepherd in the first place. And the second objection, I think, is that we doubt whether the Good Shepherd really is good. You know, we doubt whether Jesus really has our very best interests at heart. Does he really care for me? Does he really love me more than I love me? Does he really want me to get the very most out of my life, or is there something else going on? So, I just want to look at those two objections. That's all I want to do. The first of those objections, do we even need the Good Shepherd? Uh, some years ago, I had the joy of visiting uh, New Zealand, and I was told there by somebody that the ratio of sheep to human beings in New Zealand is 10 to 1, right? There's a lot of sheep in New Zealand, essentially. And it's just as well that there are so many of them, because they're always getting into trouble, sheep. Always getting into trouble. Left to themselves, sheep would soon be extinct. That's what I discovered. So I've got a friend who spent a year shepherding um, sheep. He was actually a shepherd in Israel. And uh, he tells me that sheep are constantly wandering off. They're constantly getting lost. 
They're constantly getting caught in fences, falling into ditches. They have a herd mentality sheep, so they have trouble making decisions on their own. They just look at the little fluffy ball next to them, and whatever that sheep's doing, they go and do as well. So you know, that's the way they live their lives. They have no way of defending themselves. They're incredibly vulnerable to attack. All they can do is run away, which they do very, very slowly. And when Jesus is called upon to say, which of all the animals you and I are most like, of all the animals he could have picked, he chose sheep. It's not very flattering, is it? It's not very flattering. But he puts it like that because he loves us. Because he wants us to understand that whether we realise it or not, we desperately need a shepherd. We need somebody who knows us, who loves us, who protects us, who, who provides for us. And even more than that, we need somebody who can save us from death. Just look at verse 12. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You see, it's only when things get really bad that we see just how good our little shepherds are. If he's a hired hand and he sees a wolf approaching, he's not about to risk his own life, so he runs away. He doesn't, he doesn't even own these creatures. He's not invested in them, so he's going to run. And I think our little shepherds are very much like that. They're like these hired hands that Jesus talks about. They're fine when everything's going well, when everything's okay, but they're not so good when things get tough and they're useless in the face of death. Useless. So let me ask you right now, um, if you are a professing Christian, functionally, you may be placing your trust in family or money or sex or career or government or Christian ministry or a thousand other things. But the question is, what answers will those little shepherds have in the face of death? What answers? How will they be able to cope with the reality of death? What answers do they have? Jesus is saying here, we need a shepherd who is totally invested in us because he owns us. Who will love us so much that he will face death for us. The only question is, have we realised that yet? Have we realised that we, we really are like sheep, however unflattering that may be, and that we need somebody who knows us, who loves us, who uh, provides for us, especially in the face of death? Can we see just how much we need a shepherd? And if we can, are we willing to trust Jesus to be that shepherd? Which brings me to the second objection. Is the good shepherd really good? Is he really good? Can I trust him with my life? Does he really have my best interests at heart? Can he possibly know me, love me, protect me, provide for me? Does he have an answer to death? You know, it's important to understand that shepherds in Jesus' day are very different to shepherds now. Very, very different. The kind of shepherd that Jesus has in mind, first century Middle Eastern shepherd, actually led their sheep themselves, personally. They had smaller flocks, they knew them intimately, um, they had certain calls that they would use vocally that the sheep would recognise and respond to. It's very close, very personal relationship. That is the picture that Jesus is painting here. That's the way Jesus relates to the flock. Look at verse 3. 
The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. And then Jesus takes things even further. Verse 3, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And then verse 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I think one of the most remarkable things about the good news is that Jesus knows us intimately. That means he knows us better than our best friends. He knows us better than our spouse if we have one. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows all about us. And yet after all that, he is still willing to be our shepherd. He knows us and yet he loves us. But also, verse 14, the reverse is true. We know him if we truly belong to him. That's often the question that pastors get, isn't it? You know, how do I know that I'm a Christian? How do I know that I'm a believer? Uh, you know, how do I know that I'm saved? Is it because of a prayer that I prayed maybe 20 years ago? Is that it? Well, no. This is how you know. Just read on verse 14. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. And the question is, do you know Jesus like that? Do you know and love his voice so that when you hear his words, you joyfully obey them? Or has God always seemed rather distant and cold to you? Is it that when you hear God's voice, maybe you hear it preached in a sermon or you read it in the Bible, do you find yourself having to try and make yourself obey dutifully, begrudgingly, Resentfully, maybe. Bitterly. If that's you, just listen to the second half of verse 10. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, if you obey the good shepherd, then ultimately he will not frustrate you. He will fulfill you. He is for you, completely and utterly for you, more for you than you are, actually. I think so many people have bought the lie. This is certainly the way that I saw Christianity when I was a younger man in my teens. That actually um, Christ had come really essentially to cramp my style. Um, to make my Sundays uh, very dull, particularly Sundays. I just wanted church to end. I wanted to get out there and play with my friends. It was basically that Jesus had come to, to ruin my life, effectively steal my fun, kill, them, kill my joy, and effectively destroy my life. That was the way I saw it. No, says Jesus, it's exactly the other way around. Verse 10. Those little shepherds who say they have your best interests at heart, they are the ones who've come to steal and destroy. You expect so much from them, but actually... From your own experience, you know they never lastingly satisfy. I can. I can satisfy, says Jesus. I want you to have life and I want you to have it. Verse 10, to the full. That's why I've come. Will you trust me? And then, of course, the obvious question is, well, how can I know? It's all very well. We're talking about these events that happened 2,000 years ago. How can I know that Jesus is truly for me, that he has my best interests at heart. Well, you probably noticed it. He actually tells us three times in this short passage. He really doesn't want us to miss this. Verse 11. The good shepherd, unlike the hired hands, lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15. I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17. I lay down my life. That's how you know. You can trust me. 
The difference between the good shepherd and the little shepherds is that Jesus is the only one who actually dies instead of his sheep. He dies in their place so that they don't have to. And the amazing thing is, he doesn't go to the cross because he thinks his sheep deserve it. He dies knowing very well that they are constantly wandering away from him and constantly rejecting him and replacing him with a million other little shepherds, inferior shepherds, those hired hands we'd rather have who in the end have no power to save our lives anyway. He dies for people like us. It's amazing. The shepherd went to the cross so that we can be forgiven for deliberately choosing little shepherds instead of him. He dies and is resurrected so that all those who trust him can have life to the full. Right at the end of The Elephant Man, John Merrick says these words. He says, my, my life is full because I know I am loved. And there's no greater proof that we're loved than that the Good Shepherd himself lays down his life on our behalf. That's the proof. But it goes even further than that. Look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So if Jesus is your shepherd, the life you have to the full is not just life here. It is that, but it is so much more than that. It is eternal life. So you may be paralysed by things that you've done in this life, maybe regrets for things that you've done. You think back, I don't know if you're anything like me, but so often it'll take me by surprise. I'll remember something that I said to somebody or something that I did, and it might have been 20 years ago, but every time you, you, you feel it, you remember the words that were said to you, you just burn with shame, and you just wish you could turn the clock back. You wish you could go back and do things differently, and it can be paralysing. And I want to say to you as clearly as I know how, if you put your trust in the Good Shepherd, your best days are not behind you. Your best days are ahead of you. You know, Jesus died not only so that we could have a better future, he died for us so that we could have a better past. What does that mean? It means as I look back at the regrets, as I look back at things I've done and said, I look back and I see Jesus in the midst of that. He was not asleep at the wheel. He was there working through those things so that I could know him more deeply and working through those things for my good and for his glory. It's the most extraordinary freedom that we can have from our regrets if we will take Jesus as our good shepherd. He died not just for our future, but for our past. And that's a promise that's sealed by his death and, and, actually, and sealed by his resurrection from death as well. All we have to do is respond to the Good Shepherd's voice. Come to him. Come to him. And I say that, of course, knowing full well that I guess most of us here would say we're, we're believers, we're Christians, so you might think, well, that's a bit odd to say come to him. I already have. But actually, there are always areas of our life, I think, where... Actually, we've kept them from Jesus. We haven't come to him with all of our regrets, all of our pain, all of our suffering. Um, and Jesus is saying, come to me. I'm the good shepherd. All of it. 
So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this as I close. Does your shepherd, the shepherd that you've chosen for yourself, does it really know you? Does it really love you? Protect you? Provide for you? Does it have an answer to death? Can it bring you lasting satisfaction, contentment, life to the full, even eternal life? Does it lay down its life for you? Jesus says, I am the one that you've been searching for all these years. I am the good shepherd. Shall we pray? Let's just pray. Father, please would you open our eyes, open our ears, so that we can hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, calling us. Please would you forgive us for choosing other little shepherds and putting them in his rightful place. Please would you enable us to trust the Good Shepherd who knows us and loves us and laid down his life for us so that we can have life to the full. In his name we pray. Amen.